My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Bree Castellini. I used to be a puppy cam. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait till the end where we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com. That's burnnoticed with a D. Or to our Twitter, burnnoticedpod, at burnnoticedpod. So, this episode, Bad Blood, based on the Taylor Swift song of the same name, aired August 14th, 2008. It was written by Big Daddy Nix and Rashad Rezani, uh, who wrote last week's episode. And it was directed by Bronwyn Hughes, who has directed a ton of TV, including a few episodes of The L Word, and is probably the only director who has directed both of those shows. (laughs) As well as uh, directing Forces of Nature with Ben Affleck and Sandra Bullock, which is a movie that I have not seen but is one of those movies that I saw all the time at Blockbuster. Like, you know how you would go to Blockbuster and look for a movie and would constantly pass the same, like, landmarks each time and, like, the various idols? I felt like I had a relationship to certain movies that I'd never seen because I saw the cover of them so many times from going to Blockbuster. For you Gen Zs out there, it's like when you go to Netflix and scroll through their comedy category and there's like those two or three comedies that don't make any sense where they are contextually and you'll never watch, but you see every time. It's like that, but in real life. Exactly. Physically. Imagine if you went to Netflix physically. (laughs) Imagine if you were inside Netflix Speaking of being inside of people, can you confirm if Bronwyn Hughes is a woman or man? Bronwyn Hughes is a woman. Okay, that that's what I thought because Bronwyn is a a female like Celtic name, but I but it's spelled slightly differently than I'm used to seeing it, so I wasn't sure. That's cool though. Yeah. A lady director of Burn Notice. This is a lady director. I wasn't gonna make a big thing of it. Hashtag feminism, Chris. It is a big thing. Yeah. It is a big thing. Uh, she also directed Harriet the Spy, which I remember having a strong effect on me as a child. I wanted to be a spy like Harriet. And then she graduated to this, a show about a spy. Yeah, that tracks. I don't think I've ever saw, uh, I don't think I've ever seen Harriet the Spy. I have no idea if it holds up. (laughs) Well, don't tell us. We don't want to know. What's this episode about, Chris? Uh, Well, I can tell you that Harriet the Spy is about a young girl who wants to be a spy. And so she, I I want to talk about Harriet the Spy for a second. I had a whole whole rant about prison break at the beginning of last episode. So I think you are allowed a couple of minutes for Harriet the Spy. Well, the whole point of Harriet the Spy is that she's this girl who wants to be a spy. And so she just snoops on her friends and writes down their personal lives. Uh, that's what I used to do as a kid. That's exactly. not a joke. I used to fully do that. You were a regular Harriet the Spy. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to be that person, but I didn't have friends. So Well, that's I, not, just did I didn't nothing. have friends either. So I would just spy on the people who were nearest by me at the time. You got to be resp- think- if you're going to be a spy, Chris, you got to be resourceful. In fact, it's probably better if you don't have friends because then the spying is more effective and you have to make your way into situations that you otherwise wouldn't be invited to so you could take notes. 
Uh, but isn't the point of Burn noticed that uh, Michael is a better spy because of his friends? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe the real. Maybe spies. the real spies were the friends we made along the way. Damn it! You got there first. I was, well, I was I gonna. Sure I was. Did. I was gonna say it as maybe the real spy tips, the real practical spy tips, were the friends we made along the way. That was the better one. Yeah. Sometimes it's not good to be first. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying that every time you're inside of me, every single time, but it hasn't gone. It hasn't Fuck. come. It hasn't gone through yet. <laughs> the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is strong sexual energy between me and Chris Cherry. God. Michael meets his new Wrangler. What's this? Rodeo clown. A Wrangler slash rodeo clown. It was a, this is a weird entry. <laughs> like, Michael, Michael meets his new Wrangler slash rodeo clown. Those are both in quotes. Also, Michael's childhood friend Ricky uh, needs help proving his innocence to his boss, Valentine. The really badly written intro. I, yeah. I will say this is the first of Michael's uh, alleged childhood friends who actually seems to be Michael's age. So that's a that's an improvement. Yeah, it does track. Although he is supposed to be really the younger brother of one of Michael's friends. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and he does seem he has like a, a, a younger face than Michael. So like yeah. I buy that. But I'm just I'm just excited that he's like within a decade. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's closer than they've ever gotten. Sure. All right. So, the uh, spy plot. Uh, what did we? What did we call it? Well, let's get in the weeds. All right. This week in the weeds. Uh, or Michael on the beach. His... Yeah. On the beach, Michael meets his new wrangler slash rodeo clown, Victor, at like a chess area of the park. You know how parks have chess, apparently. Yeah, the Prospect Park yeah. has a chess area. Yeah. No, like, they do. It's a real thing that's always... Where do these come from? Are these, like... Are the t- are our tax dollars paying for these chess pieces? Yeah, in the same way that taxpayers are playing, paying for, like, uh, um, playgrounds. This is, like, the adult playground. This is an adult playground. <laughs> Michael meets Victor at an adult playground. And Victor gives him a job. <laughs> yeah, no, um... Victor gives him a job and a phone and... Of course, Michael refuses both of these things because that's what he does. Yeah, it's just Michael Weston at this point, just like obstinate is just the character that he has to stick to. Like in the same way that last episode, Joseph refused to break into that one safe because it felt like something Joseph would do. At this point, it feels like Michael Weston refuses to do things because it just feels like something Michael Weston would do. Yeah. Another thing that Michael Weston would do is grab a chess piece and try to stab Victor in like an artery, like on his hand, on his like wrist, mm-hmm. just to just to see what Victor would do. And the thing that Victor does is uh, pull a gun on him. And Michael's like, "Yeah, that's pretty good. I guess I'll do your stupid job and take your stupid phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to like it." I will say it's funny we we rag on the editing of Burn Notice a lot because it's bad, mm-hmm. objectively bad. I, I really liked the way that this scene was edited. This was actual cool editing because the whole point is that they're having this um, meeting at this chess area uh, and having this kind of power play that's going on between the two of them. And as Almost like a going, chess game in real life. Yeah, exactly. And all of their, like, talking and, like, gunning and 
stabbing and what have you is intercut with like increasingly frenzied footage of people moving chess pieces and hitting clocks and it all it really builds in a really cool way and it's like the first time i felt like this show did a cool thing instead of doing a thing that it thinks is a cool thing it's almost as if the director made some good choices this time because like i don't know how much of the editing bizarreness is the editor's fault or is the fault of like this is what footage they have, so they have to do something with it. The thing is, this had to have been a directing choice because they needed to get all this footage. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm yeah, not going like, to say that was... women direct better than men. Uh, I'm not going to say that women do everything better than men, but I did just say that, so I don't know. Die mad about it. All right. But yeah, so now, um, like, Michael has a phone and a job, neither of which he wants. Meanwhile, Sam has a new car because he doesn't have the caddy anymore. Uh, and Michael asks him to babysit Madeline because this gig, this Victor gig, seems dangerous. And I'm already excited for this. We eventually do not get enough of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I really thought going into this episode that we would get a lot of fun Sam and Madeline stuff. And we got we get a little bit, but not nearly enough. Yeah, no, every time Sam and Madeline are on the same screen, they're delightful together. And yeah, they definitely under gave us what we so rightly deserved. Yeah. Uh, but so Sam goes to Madeline's. And like Sam's cover is that he's so sad about the, um, the breakup that like he needs a place to stay. Because obviously he got kicked out of his... Um, apartment or like he got kicked out of his his veronica's home yeah and then so and he needed time away from michael too so he wants to stay at madeline's but that's also arguably he should be staying with madeline anyways because michael's place has a mattress on the ground end of accommodations yes like madeline has a whole ass house it's i'm pretty sure it's like michael's childhood home right so presumably there's at least two full guest bedrooms where he and nate used to live that are just like available although i am certain at least one of those bedrooms is full of bullshit just like box boxes of newspapers (laughs) and old used candles yeah that tracks but all i'm saying is like Cowards, give me the Madeline Sam roommate season that I deserve. I have watched too much of Burn Notice for you to not give me a season where Sam and Madeline are roommates. I mean, we can't do anything about that now. Anyway, so um, Sam arrives at Madeline's, and when he's there, there's a guy already in Madeline's place doing stuff with wires. And so Sam pulls a gun on him. Yeah, that's that's what I would do. But it turns out that this is not an evil wireman. This is, in fact, um, an old childhood friend of Michael's, who's like the younger brother of a guy that Michael used to run with when he was a kid. His name is Ricky Watkins. Um, And Ricky Watkins is played by Burn Notice writer Ben Watkins. Wait, really? Yes, who just wrote an episode two weeks ago. The last episode that I covered, Ben Watkins, he's written multiple episodes, and now here he is in front of the camera. That's awesome. Good for him. He even has the same last name. That's adorable. They they couldn't be bothered to give him a different last name. Well, it's not as special that way. Exactly. But yeah, he has showed up looking for Michael because, of course, he's got problems. (laughs) So yeah, Sam and Madeline bring Ricky to Michael at, like, you know, brunch. 
And then Ricky explains that he's an accountant now who works for Valentine, who is a famous rapper. And it turns out that he is that he, Ricky, has been set up by Eddie, who is Valentine's number two. And Eddie stole two million dollars and is making it look like Ben, I mean Ricky, took it. So Ricky is now on the hook for two million million dollars that it looks like he stole, even though Eddie, who is a bastard, stole it. Everyone got that? Yep. Got it. Good. All right. So Michael and Fee stake out Valentine's like building. And then Fee gives Michael shit for not having heard of Valentine. Like, that's a running thing. Like, Michael keeps going on about, like, I don't listen to music. <laughs> Which, that's true. I'm sure he yeah, doesn't. That, I don't I, think... He doesn't do his own laundry. He doesn't listen to music. Got it. You ever meet those people who just don't listen to music? It's weird. Somebody, when, when I was in middle school, somebody, I, like, in class mentioned a song that I liked or something. And after class, a kid came up to me and was like, you listen to music? I was like, excuse me? And he's like, you just don't seem like a person who listens to music to me. He's like, or if you listen to music, you listen to like classical music. And I was like, thank you for your concern. And then he just like walked away. It was the most bizarre experience of my life. I was very into like Nickelback and Three Doors Down at that time. So uh, you could say I liked music. I I don't think I could say that (laughs) from those bands. Oh, God. I will say this episode uh, does a thing that I personally hate in television. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but a thing that always bugs me, which is it's an episode about a fictional famous musician. Why do you not like that? I mean, it doesn't have to be a musician. It always bugs me more about when it's a musician because, A, it seems like writers are very bad about writing it about musicians. And famous musicians, because, like, anytime they have to come up with a name for, like, a famous artist or band, it always sounds incredibly fake and writerly. A. But also, the real problem about things like this is that in order for it to work, like, the episode has to sell the idea that everyone knows who this person is. Which means that all of the characters have to talk about how famous someone is, which is not a thing that we do when we talk about famous people. It's like, we're never like, hey, you know how Jay-Z is so famous and everyone's heard about Jay-Z? Yeah, I know how famous Jay-Z is. That's not a conversation that we have. But it always has to happen in shows like this to get across the idea of, oh, this is a famous person. All right. I I get that. Like, they, they introduce it super unnaturally. Yeah. And it always... And, like, I don't know if it's just because, like, I like music. I'm I'm one of those people who likes music and thus, like, like knows a little bit about, like, the music industry. And it, it never seems like it's rendered well in the world of television. Yeah, that's um, fair. I think we yeah. could do it. I trust you and I to be able to do it. But fair enough. That is, it is a hard, I, I appreciate that it's a hard line to walk for them. Yeah. Uh, but I can also see how that would be super annoying. Yeah. Anyway, in this scene, we are introduced to Valentine the Rapper, who is played by Method Man, who is an actual rapper. And I know that they probably couldn't have implied that, like, they couldn't have just made it Method Man, because especially since, like, this rapper, spoiler alert, kills someone at the end. So they probably couldn't have been, I work for Method Man. But I almost kind of just wish that they had, he'd just been like, yeah, I'm Ricky, I work for Method Man. 
I would have been like fine with that. Especially since Ricky Wat like Ricky Watkins is basically using his real name anyway. We also meet Eddie, Valentine's number two, and the guy who actually stole two million dollars. And he is played by God from Supernatural. Oh yeah. So at this point, we have had both God and Satan from Supernatural on this show. Just something to think about. <laughs> really makes you think. Also in this scene, Fee mentions like how she really wants to get paid for this job because she wants new shoes. I think this is the one where she wants new shoes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And Michael says, like, well, I bought you that coffee. Another instance of this show being very concerned with who pays for food and drink. <laughs> it is, I think, almost as much, if not more, than yogurt. It is the main running like idea of this show oh yeah speaking of did you see any yogurts in the last episode because i don't think i saw any yogurts in the last episode i do not believe so either okay were there any uh, yogurts in this episode (laughs) i don't think so i don't what the fuck they're really dropping the yogurt ball that's like the only thing that gives me joy that and making me feel uncomfortable as we've established yes very true thank you for reminding me So Michael gets a call from Victor the Wrangler to meet him at the beach. And Victor tells him that they're going to steal something while it's being transferred. And if that sounds vague, that's because it's vague. (laughs) Yeah. And this is also like, uh, spoiler alert to the actual job, does not seem like something that they need Michael Weston for. None of the things that they have ever done with Michael have seemed like things that they need Michael for. And I don't know if it's just that they don't, totally trust that Michael can do, like, jobs yet. So these are low-level jobs to gauge his ability. The fact that they don't give him any information about these jobs but still put him on them, all that's doing is giving him more information about, like, what they're up to. Like, they're basically, they're setting themselves up to, like, give Michael the information he needs to foil them eventually without actually, like, needing him for anything. It feels like the safest thing to do is, in fact, to not include Michael Weston at all. It really does. Like, also in this scene, uh, like, at the end of the scene, Victor's like, you can go back to what you were doing at Biscayne Boulevard or something, just to point out that, like, he's definitely tracking him using this cell phone. Yep. which Which means that Michael immediately decides, well, I can't take this cell phone anywhere. Even though Victor expressly told them that he had to have the cell phone on him at all times. So what Michael does instead is use call forwarding to fo- to forward all of um, Victor's calls to a new different cell phone that he's not tracking. Yeah, it just, it feels like the worst spy organization in the entire universe. Like all it of these really dumbasses, like giving Michael Weston way more information than he needs, like constantly i mean although i will say it's sound it's sort of like what michael does like remember in season one when michael like made himself known to his fbi tale like hey by the way i know you're on to me for no reason other than for like the pizzazz of it all that's definitely what's happening here i think what's happening is that the burn notice writers are worried that if they don't show their hand every time a school cool spy thing is happening they're gonna lose us but like i'd rather like find out about cool spy stuff because someone had to like uncover it versus just having these idiot spies brag about the spy stuff they're doing. That would be much more satisfying. You know, it's occurring to me that perhaps like spy workplaces are like every other workplaces in which I've worked and that they're staffed by idiots (laughs) and they're run by idiots. 
Fee briefs Michael on Valentine's security and then asks for more pay because she needs shoes because she's, you know, single now. She's not attached anymore. She needs a new man. And in order to get a new man, she needs new shoes. And it's really passive aggressive. One thing that like that we didn't talk about last week's episode and then a little bit in this week's episode too is that like these like Fee and Michael can't commit to not having like weird passive aggressive sexual tension. <laughs> It's just what comes natural to them. Anyway, so Michael breaks into Valentine's place to steal files that prove that Eddie stole the money, um, but almost gets caught when Eddie, because, like, uh, he calls a bomb threat into the building next door, and then everyone goes out of the building, and then Eddie shows up and is like, why aren't you in the building to the guards? And they're like, there's a bomb threat. And he's like, I don't give a shit. Go back in that building, because Eddie's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And so... Michael almost gets caught, but then he doesn't. But it doesn't matter because there is no proof in any of the computers that Eddie has done anything. And so it was all for nothing. But there was evidence that Eddie was looking for places to launder the money. Which means that Michael's going to have to be a money launderer. So, of course, he talks to the one money launderer that he does know, Barry. Barry actually appearing in this episode in order in something related to his actual function mm-hmm. as a money launderer. Finally, Barry is supposed to be there. Do you think that, like, Fee got really turned off by this because she hates la- money launderers so much? Yes, the, the famously like... racist Irish who hate money launderers. Exactly. And so she's just seeing Michael ha- pretending to be a money launderer. She's like, ugh, no, not like this. <laughs> Never like this. Yeah, and then... Uh, but of course, Barry, as always, doesn't want anything to do with Michael, which is reasonable. And so, like, he, but he's willing to do it for five grand that Michael just has. Michael has five grand to drop on this. Of course he does. Even though he never does jobs. And when he does jobs, he refuses the money. Michael Weston's finances are uh, just an absolute nightmare. Hopefully, Ricky, the accountant, can help him out about, uh, uh, after this episode is done. Michael Weston's finances are as opaque and non-existent as his laundry (laughs) anyway so michael meets sam at madeline's and sam is making curry because he loves he loves cooking shows also (laughs) if you remember i think the thing is sam just really likes cooking he went to cooking class he watched cooking shows now with with madeline he just really likes to cook and i like Uh, that about him that like that's a nice little thing. I would pay to see an episode just of Madeline and Sam like hosting a cooking show together. Are you kidding that me? That would be very good. Here's the episode. Okay. Uh, Madeline and Sam are hosting a cooking show. Actually, let's go ahead and update this to now. Not like actually, it could have been then, but not like it is now. Um, like Sam and Madeline are hosting a cooking show. Because they have to get, like, a cooking YouTube channel that that is, like, a cover for getting a certain information to Fee and, and Michael. And that requires, like, Fee and Michael to be doing the cooking that Sam and, and Madeline are doing. So it's, like, so the it's, whole... it's like Sam and Madeline have, like, uh, like, bugs in their ears and Fiona and Michael have to, like, act on the instruction that they're getting. Through their earbuds. Yeah. That's amazing. Can, please continue. Exactly. I mean, I was thinking that, like, um, Fee and, like, Fee and Michael were also just cooking. Because, like, because, um, like, 
because that's the thing too. Um, Fee and Michael never seem more like excited than when they're like doing some weird project together, and then that's when like all of their sexual chemistry is at the highest. That's true. When they're doing crafts together, usually exactly. violent crafts. And so, like, a whole episode that's built around, like, them doing cooking crafts or some sort of thing. I really like that idea. <laughs> I, I smell a spec script. Yes. For a show that is no longer on television. Oh, yeah. Um, so, at Madeline's, um, Sam gives Michael his new cover identity. He's going to be Jimmy Glenn, flashy real estate developer slash cash churner. So, with his new... Uh, Identity in hand, uh, Michael meets Eddie at the CWHHO club where he hangs out <laughs> and tells him that he, he can put um, his money, his $2 million, in a real estate project and then he'll give him clean money as well as a tidy profit. Okay, and... I will admit I don't actually remember how this happens. How does Jimmy Glenn know that Eddie needs to hide $2 million somewhere? Um. They got introduced by Barry. Got it. Okay. Eddie is eventually willing, but having seen Burn Notice, he wants to see the property first. Yeah, fair enough. He's like, I don't know. Can I see your property? And, of course, and Michael expects this because, again, Michael has also seen Burn Notice. (laughs) So Michael takes him to an apartment that that Michael is just, like, called a real estate agent and been like, hey, can I come to this apartment? They're like, yeah, sure. And so... Um, but he's pretending that it's his apartment. And Michael explains to Eddie that what like they're gonna flip this apartment and like that's how they'll clean the money. Like they'll invest the two million dollars in flipping the apartment and sell the apartment for like two uh two point five million dollars and sell like now money now Eddie has clean money and like a profit. Seems um, like a they're... good deal to me. Thank you, Jimmy Glenn. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but then Eddie is like not sure and he gets a phone call and he leaves in a hurry and while Michael tries to push him to commit Jimmy Glenn is very pushy Mm -hmm. well I mean he is a money cleaner or whatever the hell you said cash churner he's got to churn he's got to churn that cash Uh Glenn got to churn but it turns out the reason that uh, Eddie has to leave um, is that Valentine has called a meeting and everyone has to come, uh, including Ricky. So Ricky calls Michael and lets him know that, like, Valentine is furious. And my- Michael says, uh, just keep your phone going and me and Fee are going to listen in. So, like, Fee and Michael drive to outside Valentine's place while the meeting goes on. And in the meeting, Valentine goes off on this other employee. Like, it's sort of vague. He does that thing where, like, one of y'all betrayed me. Mm-hmm. To, like, kind of root out the person. But also it makes the audience think, like, oh, no, is Ricky found out? But of course it's not. Of course not. It's too early in the episode for that. It's some other person who works for Valentine who allegedly was going to try to take an act to another record label because that's what Eddie told Valentine. Eddie has basically lied to Valentine about how this other person is screwing him over to make Eddie seem like he's the only one that Valentine can trust. And this is a bit in the scene where uh, Valentine asks Ricky, like, well, what do you think? And Ricky's like, I think you have a lot of witnesses here. (laughs) And Valentine's, you're right. I shouldn't kill this person. But he does beat him with a platinum record. Yeah, he, like, smashes it over the back of his head or something. Yes. 
uh, and then he sends Valentine sends out all the people except Ricky. And then we're like, oh, maybe something is bad for Ricky. And then Valentine's like, do you know what happened to that $2 million? And he's like, I will know soon. He's like, good, you have like two days or whatever. Uh, Are you not acknowledging the part of the scene where while they're listening in, things start getting dire and so Fiona takes a giant shotgun, shoves it in a duffel bag and like tries to storm the record label? Yeah, at the same time, that is exactly happening. And Michael's just like, no, like calm down. And like, yeah, like Fee is like this close to like shooting everybody. Fee in this episode is very committed to should we shoot them? (laughs) <laughs> Although I will say, like, it doesn't really make sense, you know, of the plans that they could have to deal with, like, a possible fallout of, like, Ben, get or uh, not Ben, that's his actual name. Um, what the hell is this guy's fake name? Ricky. Ricky. Like, Ricky getting caught. Like, Fiona just, like, going in guns blazing does not seem like the smartest course of action, even for yeah. unhappy Fiona. Yeah, because, because Valentine is, like, a celebrity. <laughs> Yeah. If, like, she might have shot a celebrity. Uh, like, if it was actually Method Man. <laughs> or I think Jay- I think we need to think he's Jay-Z, right? It was unclear. I did not know that he was an actual rapper until you said that during your recap. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, like, but, I mean, like, Valentine, the fictional rapper, I think we're supposed to think that he's kind of like Jay-Z. Because, like, he owns all this stuff, and he seems like he's a mogul, and that's, like... I feel like there are a lot of, like, rap moguls. I mean, that's true. Like, I got the impression that that's who we we were supposed to think he was. Fair enough. Uh, But he could have been Method Man. Who knows? Either way, it would be bad if someone, like, if you shot him... I say, if you shot him, like, um, that would cause problems. But then again, Tupac and Biggie did get both get shot, and we still don't know what happened. So, you know... Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, now that we've settled that. Now that we've settled Biggie and Tupac's murders, Michael meets with Eddie to finalize the deal, but then Victor shows up in the middle of the meet and because he's pissed because Michael isn't carrying around his cell phone where he's being tracked at all times. And then he tells Michael that they're doing their heist tomorrow. Again, I say heist, but again, it is more of a robbery. Sure. Um... They're doing their robbery tomorrow. And Michael's like, I can't do that because, you know, I have a job. And then so Victor's like, oh, yeah, this job. And then he just blows up the whole job. But what I what I like about it is that Victor doesn't like say, hey, no, this is Michael Weston. He's a spy. Like Victor decides to put on a character. I actually do like that. Like I, I, I wish Victor wasn't just like a white guy who looks vaguely like both Jason Bly and Michael Weston. Like, I feel like all of their fucking villains are just white guys who look vaguely similar and like mediocre, but like, I am enjoying Victor in that he seems sort of unhinged. And I like that about him. I appreciate an unhinged villain far more than like a cool, capable one. You don't like hinged villains. I do not like my, my villains hinged. No doors can be villains for you. Yes. That I've always said that. Yes. Um, yeah, so he Victor pretends that he is like a disgruntled investor and is like, yeah, uh, you should never invest with Jimmy Glenn. I've got FBI on me now. And so Eddie's like, oh, never mind that. But yeah, I do appreciate that like the way he blows up Michael's spot is by playing along. Like I appreciate yeah. that he like also got into character. Victor appreciates a good con. But so um, 
of course, now the whole thing's blown up and Ricky is pissed because, like, uh, all this got messed up. What they don't show in the episode, and I don't know, like, what they did here, is how much they explained to Ricky about why it went bad. Because it went bad because, like, another shadowy organization messed around with it. And, like, did they tell Ricky that? <laughs> I don't think so. I think they, like, I think they might have just said, like, uh, he got suspicious for definitely not CIA-related reasons. What Michael does is that he finds Eddie in a parking garage and then pulls a gun on him and explains that he's got FBI on him now and he thinks that Eddie talked. He kind of, I do like that a lot. He uses... Because I believe Victor was the first person to mention the FBI. Yeah. And so Michael takes that idea and runs with it. And he's like, I got FBI on me. Did you talk? And then terrifies the shit out of Eddie. And then Eddie, like, scared shitless. Like, he definitely has no shit in him at all. Um, assures him that he did not talk. I Michael's definitely done this before, but this was a better way to do it. Do you remember what episode he's done this before? Where, like, oh, it's, I think it was Identity, actually. Um he uses the fact that he has an actual FBI tale to yes. scare um, the fog monster from Lost. Exactly. That's right. No, and I, it is definitely better executed here. The thing about the Identity is it's an episode where it executed a bunch of things that became standard uh, burn notice tropes, but it did it worse than any other episode. Yes, fair. But it was also, you know, it gets some points for being the first of its kind. Yeah, that's true. So, um, Victor shows Michael the spot where they're going to be stealing the thing that they're stealing. Um, and that Michael's basically just going to be a lookout slash getaway driver. Again, wasting Michael's talents. Yeah, why is he there? It, like, it's it's such a bad idea. Because even if they don't think that he's going to do a super elaborate thing that he ends up doing to, like, figure out what's in the box. What's in the box? Like, they know Michael Weston is going to try something. Michael Weston now has more information than he did previously, and they clearly don't want him to have this information. So why, in God's name, would they put him anywhere near it? Yeah, because uh, Michael wants to know the thing that they're stealing, and they won't tell him. He gets Victor to admit that, like, the thing that they're stealing will be in a wooden crate, and it's not a bomb. Which is apparently enough, because... Um, they're going to put it in the trunk. So Michael rigs his trunk to x-ray the crate. Which is honestly pretty dope. It is. It is very dope. And a very cool spy thing. Yeah, a very cool spy thing. I enjoyed that. There was some good spy stuff in both of these episodes. Like, I really enjoyed some of the the spy nonsense that was going on. Yeah, uh, this writer is a good writer. It was a a good writer for spy stuff. Uh, Yeah, so Eddie calls. Like, he spooked... Yeah, he's spooked by all of this uh, money. Also, he's also spooked, because I forgot to say this earlier, that while Michael was doing all this other stuff, um, he has Sam take Madeline on a trip. But um, Oh my god, I forgot about that. And, like, he tells Madeline that the trip is to look at condos, because he needs a new place to stay. But really, it's so we can follow around Eddie and look kind of like the FBI. <laughs> and so Eddie is su- sufficiently spooked by Madeline and Sam. He's sufficiently spooked by the appearance of a spook. It's very spooky. It's we're we're technically before Halloween now. That's <laughs> established by the timeline in the last episode. It's definitely before Halloween, which means it's yeah. fair game to celebrate. But yeah, he's spooked by the FBI, and so he wants to get his money offshore now because he can't have because if the FBI is investigating Eddie, they're gonna find this two million dollars. Eddie also tells 
Michael that he's tying up some loose ends at that moment as they're having a conversation, which means that he is sending hitmen to kill Ricky. So Michael calls Fee and tells her to get to Ricky's immediately, but also not make it look like that she knows that hitmen are coming. So Fee, like, does the old burn to standard of getting into character as a jilted girlfriend <laughs> who, like, goes up to Ricky's place and throws a rock through his window, setting the burglar alarm off, and all the hitmen are like, oh, shit, and they have to go away. I really enjoyed this. This was a this was another just, like, really clever, improvised sort of reaction by Fiona, and it was very fun to watch. And so after that, Michael meets with Eddie and tells him that Ricky is the person who talked to the FBI, and that Michael gives him a gun and tells Eddie that, like, you need to shoot Ricky. And then... um does this whole weird, almost reverse psychology thing where he insults Ricky, or not, no, insults Eddie to make him feel like shit so that he'll fight back and I guess gain the confidence to go kill Ricky? Yeah, it, it's like a pump up scene like, you can kill a guy, you can kill a guy, what are you, a coward? Exactly. And then so Eddie like beats the shit out, like shit out of Michael and Michael has to pretend like he's getting the shit beat out of him. And Michael is so upset about it. (laughs) He's so annoyed. He's so annoyed to, like, have to look like he's losing to a lesser man. But that works. And apparently, Eddie feels like he has now got enough verb to go kill Ricky. Meanwhile, while this is happening, um, Sam and Fee kidnap a famous rapper. Yep, they sure do. They, like, go up to Valentine, like... And they just um, kidnap him. They fucking kidnap him. They kidnap him. him. Like, Sam pretends to be kind of racist. Yeah, that was uncomfortable to watch. Sam pretends to be, like, a weird old racist guy who's complaining about hip-hop music. And then his, like... And then Sam and Fee disable Valentine's guards. And then kidnap Valentine... An incredibly famous person. They've established that Valentine is very famous, and then they kidnap him. It's just in broad fucking daylight. I love it. In broad fucking daylight. Like, there's no, like, I'm surprised that no paparazzi got, like, any pictures of Valentine, a famous rapper, being kidnapped. Imagine if Jay-Z got kidnapped. Well, I mean, I think that the fact that Valentine has, like, an office he goes to every day makes him pretty like easy to get pictures of. And so it's not very interesting for the paparazzi. I guess he has his name on the damn building. Like they know where he is at all times. So I think like just him wandering around, like going in and out of the office probably has stopped being like interesting. I, I don't know. But like the thing is that you want to like, if you're a paparazzi, like at least one of your guys, like, needs to work that beat anyway, because every once in a while, you might get a picture of, I don't know, someone getting kidnapped. (laughs) Well, I I guess you told them. Oh, like, because this is the other thing, is that, like, the episode wants him to be really famous, but then also doesn't really want to deal with the consequences of him being really famous. Yeah, all they mean is that he's just, he's a guy with power, but different power than drug lord power. Because, like, we've seen people with drug lord power. That's boring. That's old school. We we need something new and fresh. We need famous power now. I wonder, 
Do you wonder if he was originally going to be something else, maybe? And then they got Method Man? <laughs> and we're like, oh, we should rewrite this so he's a rapper now. No, I think that, like, it makes sense to me that they were like, we need a new crime guy who isn't, like, just a crime guy. Like, we need someone who is powerful enough to have sway, but, like, not just a crime boss again. Because if we keep doing this, like, lackey turns on his crime boss plot, people are going to get wise that we only have two burn notice plot lines. So, like, maybe this time he'll just be, like, a powerful, famous person because that's where his power comes from. It's not from his drug kingpin thing, but from his rapping. But he has to be a rapper because he still needs to, like, definitely kill the guy at the end. We still need the lackey still dead. He in, involved in crime. Right, but he can't be just a crime guy because that's passe. We've It's been done, darling. <laughs> God. Uh, so anyway, um, the rest of this episode plays out exactly like you think it's going to. Eddie shows up at Ricky's place, threatens, like, pulls the gun that uh, Michael gave him and says that he's going to kill Ricky, but not before confessing his entire plan to Ricky. And says, like, we would have... I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you. I would have gotten away from stealing all of that money from Valentine, who I don't like. Like, he really digs into how much he hates Valentine. (laughs) And then, of course, A, the gun has blanks in it. And B, Valentine is there. And is, like, totally over being kidnapped because it, it, it allowed him to see this treachery in person. Yeah. And then we go to the next scene. And then Ricky tells Michael that it worked and Eddie's dead now. And this just like normal person who lives a normal life is like, yeah, so like my coworker's dead and my boss definitely killed him. Uh, Thanks for taking care of my problem for me. Yeah. This is fine Uh, and normal and a a thing that it definitely isn't going to keep me up at night. This is the world that we live in. As sometimes like celebrities kill people. It's just, you know. Forget it, Chris. That's how it is. It's Miami. Yeah. Like, uh, celebrities kill people sometimes. Matthew Broderick killed a guy. It's fine. Anyway, so Ricky tries to pay Michael, but of course, Michael is like, no, I I will not take your money. But then he does take money for expenses and, of course, money for Fiona's shoes. The subplot that almost became a thing but was never a thing. <laughs> yeah, it was much the, the subplot of, like, Michael needing a gift for Fiona's birthday was a much better version of that. Like, this through line didn't really do anything. It was just like, what do women like that's stupid? Shoes. Let's have her want shoes. This isn't even the best episode that involves Fiona's shoes. Right, yeah. That episode where she, like, beats the... the, She, like, throws it at the the guy making fake IDs. Yeah, that was much better. So then in this scene, or I think another scene, the tone goes, like, dark... Not dark, but like suddenly, like we've moved into Michael and Fee heartfelt mode because uh, Michael's about to go do his crime with Victor, and Fee is now all worried about him again. And she's also brought a thing that Michael asked for, which was a bunch of incendiary rounds. And so she gives him like incendiary rounds and then a heartfelt look. And then, and then after that, in the next scene, the theft goes down. Um, and Victor goes to, like, cut this door open so he can steal this crate. And Victor has told Michael that if there are any security guards come, that Michael needs to tell him 
so that Victor can shoot them. And of course, Michael, who is not Fee, doesn't want people to get shot. So when security guards in a like car show up, instead of like telling Victor so that um, he shoots them, Michael himself shoots them. But with incendiary rounds, he uses incendiary rounds to like um, set their tire on fire. And then when they get out of the car, blow up the entire car so they run away. And that, and that way, no one dies. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is accomplished in that, like, they are out of their way. Yeah. They leave, and Victor and Michael are able to steal the crate, and Michael is able to get a x-ray picture of it. Um, and then after the heist or robbery or whatever, Victor is, like, really pissed that uh, Michael went off book. But he was also really jazzed because the explosions were cool. Victor's very unhinged in the scene. Yeah. I agree. I like Victor. Yeah, it's 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 a fun scene. Like I like when Michael's handlers are like more interesting than just like blah blah bureaucrat blah blah like no fun. This organization, like whatever it is that like is holding Michael's life in their hands right now, really seems like a fun oriented organization. Yeah, I just want to know that they have like job satisfaction. You know, like I want to know that they're like <laughs> they're having a good time. They really seem like. A Silicon Valley disruptor <laughs> spy organization. Yeah, they have an open plan <laughs> office uh, and a ping pong table where they plan different stupid I was going to of... say foosball. <laughs> where, where, where over a, a casual game of foosball or ping pong, they come up with new stupid ways to tell Michael when to meet them for coffee. Exactly. They have a hundred different ways to make Michael like unhappy, and they do not have a business plan. <laughs> they are... They are not making money, but they hope to be in 10 years. Oh, that's too real, Chris. We can't do this. Anyway, so after all that, at Madeline's, uh, Sam announces that he is leaving Madeline's now because he got a condo. But then Michael, like, Madeline lets Michael know that she knew what was going on. Uh, She knew that Sam was babysitting her. But she was fine with it. Unlike... Any other time anything has happened with Madeline up to this point. Yeah. It's, like, she is so weirdly cool with it. It's And I don't know if so she is ever like this again. No, I don't think it's so. It's so inconsistent. Like, she's suddenly like, yeah, I know he was babysitting me. But, like, you got to do spy stuff. I understand that. And she never will again. She never understands it. No, that's, like, a primary part of Madeline's character. She does not understand that sometimes Michael's spy stuff is dangerous. And also means she can't. He can't call her for his for her birthday. One time. One. I'm amazed that, like he was, he called every other time. Yeah. No. It's it's insane. Oh my god. Again, they are really unwilling to unpack that. But at the very end of the episode, like Fee comes back and she's gotten the X-ray developed by a friend of hers who is a veterinarian. And it turns out the thing that they stole in the crate was a sniper rifle. Ooh, spooky! I am for Halloween. I am glad that someone, one of them in the scene, acknowledges like, why did they steal a sniper rifle? They can't just get a sniper rifle. Why was this whole thing so like bizarre? Well, presumably. Well, okay. Here's the thing. I get why they stole a sniper rifle. Because they're gonna like assassinate someone high up. Like, but they can't. Uh, they can't acquire a sniper rifle elsewhere. They are a spy organization. This is how. 
well, yeah, this is how they acquire a sniper rifle. Like, this is them acquiring... The thing is that, like, normally on, like, Burn Notice, we don't see the scene where they get, like, a hot, like, sniper rifle that is, like, been ill-gottenly gained. We actually saw them do the really boring legwork. Here's the thing that I don't understand. Why was this sniper rifle being transferred this way? This way being... It, I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly if this sniper rifle was, like, in the middle of, like, a huge shipment or something. But it just seems like a weird... Isn't there, like, another way they can, like, rob us, like steal a sniper rifle that's, like, less involved than this. Also, why is there only a single sniper rifle in a big crate? Usually they're, like, a couple to a crate, right? But it feels like there's just this big wooden crate that a sniper rifle is just sort of, like, thrown into. Um, that's a very good point. (laughs) Like, why is there just... And that's what I'm saying, and that's why somebody in the scene, either Fiona or Michael, is like, why... Why do they need to steal one sniper rifle? Like, what's the deal with this sniper rifle? And Michael's response, so it must be Fee, and then uh, Michael's like, I don't know, but they didn't want me to know about it. And then, like, they, like, stare at it moodily, and then the scene ends. And then the episode ends. And then the episode ends, yep, that's... The show ends. It's the last episode. <laughs> and that's that's been In the Weeds with Bree and Chris. All right, out of the weeds and into the spy tips. <laughs> All right, so our first spy tip is how do you feel about this one sometimes when you meet a new operative it's a good idea to open with an aggressive move you learn about people when you make them play defense how they handle themselves under pressure uh, even if you're able they're able to counter it never hurts to know how far they're willing to go is that anything yeah i, I, I feel would, like that could yeah i think that's something I, I like that it's it's definitely like a dangerous tip but uh presumably you are a super spy when you are given this tip so Exactly, yeah. You're expecting things to be dangerous. Sure. If your phone has GPS, then they can follow you anywhere. But, like, disconnecting the GPS messes with the phone. And a simpler solution is to just use call forwarding. Yeah, that does seem fair. Is call yeah, forwarding I thought still that was... a thing? Do you still have that on, like, iPhones? I have no idea. Well, I don't have an iPhone. Well, or any kind of phone here. I'm going to look up if I can do call forwarding. I don't know where I would look for that, but I'm sure it's somewhere. God, I wish there was still someone who could answer that question for us. Last, oh yeah, not. there's call forwarding. Wow, wait, so we can look up answers ourselves? <laughs> well, I, 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 we can now. Something has changed in the schism of the burn notice universe, and I feel like for some reason, um, no one's answering our questions anymore. I think God isn't listening. So I unfortunately oh. have to do the legwork myself, which I have to well, say. God got I killed in this episode. I don't care for. <laughs> they killed God in this episode. I know, and I miss him and or her. God got killed by Method Man. <laughs> if you want to empty a building, then pulling a fire alarm is useless because the fire alarm people, you know, the fire alarm people, yeah. firemen, will go into that building. Uh, a, a useful thing is to call a bomb scare into the building next door. That way everyone clears the building and then is looking at that building and not the building, looking at the bomb building and not the building that you want to get into. Yeah, I like that. Um, I don't like that now people have that information who like might want to call in fake bomb threats, but in terms of spy advice, it's pretty good. Okay, this is, I don't know if this is part of that same tip or a different distinct tip, and I want your input on this. 
Most modern bomb squads are equipped with an RF jammer, which blocks radio frequencies, including cell phones and wireless security cameras. I think that's a different tip because technically you don't need it to understand the first. Yeah, I agree. Air ducts are no good for escape because they're too small. Uh, a better they're, option They're is exactly this. 18 inches wide, according to the episode. Yes. A better option is the sub-ceiling. How do you... Uh, I feel like that's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Especially because he gets really specific about, like, the width of most uh, air ducts in office buildings. Because, like, we know people who could probably fit into that. Like, I bet Masha could totally fit into an 18-inch air duct. Shout out to Masha Donalenko, a cast member from Brains. Go watch Brains. And Sam and Pat, technically. A- and Sam and Pat, yes. Go watch Sam and Pat. You should probably uh, watch Sam and Pat instead of Brains. No, you should watch both of them. I like brains. All right, this one I'm iffy on. There's nothing in the world easier than getting an empty condo that's been on the market for six months. You just call the real estate and they'll give you the keys. I was wondering what your adjudication on this one was going to be because, like, it sounds like something that would be useful, but also I doubt its truthfulness. I mean, I believe that that's true. I think, like, that's definitely... I could see that being a thing. Okay. Like... I'm just wondering, like, how useful that information actually is. I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons why you could use an empty, like, office space or condominium space. Yeah. Do you want to keep that? Yeah. Because, yeah, I can see him, like, setting up a fake, you know, business in there, a fake office, fake real estate scam like he's doing in this one. I think there's a lot of options that you could, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you need real estate, Chris. Now, this next one is actually a perfect example of the sort of tip that I was talking about to you, Bree, in a conversation that you will have cut out of the podcast. <laughs> okay. About how sometimes on this show, you'll get a spy tip that when he starts talking, it sounds like nothing. And it just sounds like bullshit. And then halfway through, it pivots. Okay. So we have this one tip that goes, knowing what someone wants can tell you a lot about who they are. So you might have to use an old TV tube powered by a taser to turn your trunk into a makeshift x-ray machine. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it sounds like it starts out as like one of the bullshit tips that we've heard like 18 times, but it ends with a twist. It ends with really detailed instructions how to build something out of a television. I like Which that is bit. not the first time that that's happened on this show. No, it is not. Um, and I love it. More and more each time. Yes. If nothing else, like, Burn Notice has given you a lot of advice on what to do with your television set when you're tired of watching Burn Notice. (laughs) This one is one that may be good or might be bullshit. I'm going to let you decide. In any covert op, one of the toughest challenges is using info that you're not supposed to have. If going in guns blazing blows your cover, you have to get creative. And that's kind of vague, but it's matched up with Fee doing that really specific thing of pretending to be a jilted girl and it feels kind of like something we've seen before but like it is something that i would like maybe think about if i had to do spy things (laughs) what do you think i'm giving this one to you what do you think we should do well so here's what i'll say is that we're already past five so like this this episode doesn't need it in order to uh pass this tenant so i say no So that means we can get no? All right. Yeah, because, like, the tip itself is pretty vague. I like the execution a lot, but I don't. I think the execution 
is far enough detached from like the content of the voiceover that the voiceover was just there to like set up the fact that there's about to be a cool thing rather than actually setting up the cool thing itself. Does that make sense? Like it doesn't feel like a one, two punch. It just feels like a unrelated voiceover that's sort of like prefacing like, Hey, a cool thing's about to happen rather than like doing the first part of the cool thing. And then, and it's, and it is also, the thing is cool and fun because it's fun to see like, Fee, like, do the performance, not necessarily because it's a cool spy thing. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, so not that one. Um, here's another one that I don't know if it's a good spy tip, but it's useful information about weaponry. 12-gauge incendiary rounds create a small explosion that burns at 3,000 degrees. Um, they cause forest fires, and it also can stop cars. I don't think this counts because in previous episodes where we have uh, like allowed a tip that names a bullet, it's because it explains something that the bullet can do that like no other bullet can do. I feel like if you shoot well enough, most bullets will fuck up a car. Well, yeah, but they don't cause giant fires. The whole point is that these are special bullets that cause big fires. Yeah, but how They're often do you need to ones. cause a big fire? I would just assume if I went to a bullet store and I was like, I need to start a big fire. Mm, there's like this kind of round and this kind of round. Incendiary round. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with incendiary round. I don't know. I feel like I could have figured this out on my own if big fire was my goal. I live in Los Angeles, a city that is constantly on fire. Yeah. So big fire is never my goal. So <laughs> fuck this tip. Um, speaking of big fire... Um, this is another tip that is or is not a useful thing, and I am heavily paraphrasing it when I say, like, water sealant is just everywhere in Miami, and it's very flammable. <laughs> uh, what is water sealant? It's everywhere. Yeah, but what is it? Everywhere. Uh, yeah, I... They I'm say not... in the episode... But I've already forgotten. Yeah, I'm inclined to not give this one to them because I don't know what water sealant is, and that feels like an important detail. Okay, here's the thing. We can't put that on them because I'm pretty sure they did say what water sealant was, but I was in a hurry and I didn't write it all down. (laughs) You know what? Fair enough. Water sealant is everywhere in Miami and it's very flammable. Thanks, Burn Notice. I now know that. Yeah, like, no, he, he explains what it does. But, like, I felt the important thing was that it's flammable and easily accessed. All right. Fair enough. I'll give it to you. All right. Well, that's eight tips. Wow. This is a chock full puppy tonight. Even if we had decided that that one pair of tips was actually one tip, there would still be more than enough Mm -hmm. for this episode to win on tips. Speaking of. Yeah, let's rate the episode. Um, So, we definitely have enough spy tips. Yes, we do. But that's not the first part. You got to go in order, Chris. There is an order to Here's this. the thing. Here's the thing about that. I feel like that order is dumb because it means that we have to stop talking about spy tips and then talk about them again. Surely it makes more sense to start with the spy tips since we were just talking about the spy tips. I got to say, I'm not a fan of the insubordination, but I am a fan of your smart thinking. You're like Victor. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't like it, but it was fiery. So I did kind of like it in the end. Yeah, so. uh, I like your moxie, kid. Aw, thank you. No one has ever described Chris Cherry as someone who has moxie in his entire life. Uh, That's not 
totally true. Sometimes I had to walk a dog named Moxie. But they would not describe you yourself as having Moxie. They might. Yeah, no, they would have because they would have been like, hey, wait, uh, where's Moxie? And I'd be like, no, Chris has Moxie. Ah, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, I I think it's an even bet that that phrase has been said. All right, fine. So there were over five spy tips, therefore, good. Um, Does the episode rely on spycraft in general more than violence? In terms of solving the case of the week. Uh, Yes, in terms of solving the case. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Yeah, I think so, too. I think there's a lot of good spy stuff. There is also a lot of violence. There is also... A lot of but that. I wouldn't say that the sh- the episode like hinges on it. In fact, like no. the the big sort of explosion of the episode is a result of him not wanting to do something more violent. Exactly. So yeah, de- it gets that too. Does this episode have a distinct alias? It has. It does have an alias with a name, Jimmy Glenn, and he is definitely not quite a Michael character. Like he's definitely putting on a character. Yeah, he's he's got an accent and everything. He's got his sort of like yeah. vague. Crime guy accent. Yeah. Again, it's not an alias that I'm particularly interested in. Sure. Yeah. I, like last week. But it is distinct. And I do appreciate that he has a last name. I always appreciate when his aliases have like a full like first and last name. I just feel like it adds something. I agree. Uh, finally, were Fee and Sam used well? I Okay. Sam did a potentially fun thing and getting paired with Madeline, but then they didn't do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Sam was actually used that well this episode. I feel like we didn't see a lot of him. And Fee wasn't the one who actually blowed some, something up. He, Michael did the blow up. Yeah. But she does get to do the, the fun scene, you know, helping, um, what's his face, like get out of a jam. And also she has the scene where she keeps trying to like, sh- like one woman kamikaze it in a, Rich that is true. place, which is very fun. I'll give, I'll give you that. I was c- going to disagree with you about the other one. Not because I didn't love that scene, but I think there was another episode wherein Sam got a fun scene like that, but we decided that it wasn't enough. Did we? I feel like that might be true. That sounds familiar to me. <laughs> but I agree. We've gotten, we got two in this episode. I Yeah, Fee was used well, but I don't think Sam was. Does it have to be one or the other? Or is Does it have to be both? I think it can be one of the other. I think we've had episodes where, like, one of them was sort of meh, but the other one was used well enough that, like... That's fair. All right. So this is a great episode of Burn Notice. It sure was. Was it a great episode of television? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Like, I do think this is better than last week's. For sure. And I really um, did enjoy watching it. Like, there were some good moments. Uh, and once again, I, um, I do like how they better interwove the, like... A plot and B plot. Yeah, um. true. Like, it's definitely very competent. I think this writer, Rashad Razani, is, like, good at writing great episodes of Burn Notice. Um, but it's still missing and, something. It's missing, like, just storytelling that I enjoy. Like, yeah, like it was a, it's missing I had, the part where you care about exactly. it. Exactly. Like, we had fun, but, yeah, we didn't really care about this episode. No. Like, I last week I talked about how, like, there was, like, a dearth of, like, actual emotionality. Mm-hmm. Um, and there kind of was in this one, too. Yeah, I'll say that. So something interesting, yeah. now that we're a couple of episodes into the season, not quite halfway, but we're we're, clo- we're like a third of the way through the episode, the season. How many episodes this season? Uh, 16. So a, a little over a third, but a little under half. Um, yeah. So 
all but one episode. Actually, I don't know this for sure. I think probably all episodes of season two so far have been great episodes of Burn Notice. Interesting. Whereas uh, at this point last season, only three of six episodes had been marked as great episodes of Burn Notice. So like the show is definitely hitting its stride in that we both we are enjoying it more, but also the show is fulfilling being a great episode of Burn Notice more consistently. Yeah, they figured out how to do the thing that they do. But also make a more competent show. Because even like a week like this, it's still better than like the early episodes of season one. It's honestly still better than oh, yeah. some of the late episodes of season one. Like season two has been largely like good by us. Even these episodes that we're saying, this is just an episode of television. We're still in, we're having a lot more fun with it than we used to. I agree. Yeah, no. There's definitely a big step up in competence. Yeah, and I am... Probably a bigger budget, too. Probably. It seems like... Yeah, the show does seem like it has... There's episodes of season one that really looked like they were, like, filmed on, like, a shoestring. And, like, now they have more money for, like, better guest actors, more, like, better-looking explosions and stuff. Like, it does feel like... There's a like a uptick in production value. USA is finally willing to invest in them. Yeah. Cool. Good episode, boys. Cool. Not a great episode, right. but a great episode of Burn Notice. And at the end of the day, yeah. that's really all I want. Yeah, exactly. That's and that, I agree. That is really all that you want. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks again to Vincent El for our theme music. Uh, you can hear more from them at uh, vincentel.bandcamp.com. And uh, until next week, uh, bye. Goodbye. Fucking hate you. (laughs)